don't adjust your device. You are in the right place. This is a slightly different start to our podcast for a different kind of programme. Yeah, this is indeed Wine Blast with me, Peter Richards, and my wife and fellow master of wine, Susie Barry. Um, And this special episode is dedicated to the people of Ukraine. Uh, We're going to be talking about the conflict in that country from the perspective of Georgia, another former Soviet nation on the Black Sea, and of course, historic wine producer too. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been wanting to do an episode on Georgia ever since we started the podcast, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the most amazing place with Mm. so much to say for itself on the wine front. Um, But one of the things I remember most vividly from when I visited was the haunting polyphonic singing that can just break out at any moment. I mean, usually during a, a big feast or, or yeah, supra. Yeah, they know how to party the Georgians, don't they? They do, they do. Um, that was definitely something that I learned uh, when I was there recently filming for my new wine and travel series, The Wild Side of Wine. Get your plug in there. There's the plug. Uh, it's just starting <laughs> to go out on winemasters.tv. Uh, also hopefully coming to streaming services and national broadcasters wherever you are soon. Uh, more about that in due aren't course. Aren't we lucky? Aren't we lucky? <laughs> What's good is that he's, clearly we both picked up on the partying aspects of Georgia. We did. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, partying obviously isn't the highest priority mm. on the agenda there right now. Yeah. Um, and of course, this isn't the programme we envisaged making at all on Georgia. No, um, no, but we what, we wanted to get um, a picture about what's going on in that part of the world in terms of wine right now without badgering the, the people of Ukraine um, itself. Uh, there's more than enough news on the horrific mm. conflict and repercussions. Uh, so we wanted to try and get a, a sense of the bigger picture and look at things through the lens of wine and wine people. Mm. Um, and of course, there are Lots of crossovers and similarities yeah. between Georgia and Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. And, and we've been speaking to two people in particular. Uh, John Werdeman is one of the highest profile winemakers in Georgia. He's a painter and a polymath who, who also runs wine bars, restaurants and a travel company called Living Roots. Um, his perspective is particularly interesting, given he's uh, originally from the US. He then studied in Russia before settling in Georgia and becoming an avid student, I think it's fair to say, uh, of the local ethnic. <laughs> ethnography and history and John um, I think it's fair to say is angry Um, but first up we want to share a chat I had with Irakli Cholobargia who runs the promotional strategy for the National Wine Agency in Mm, Georgia. But but, but just before we we do dive in there are a few points of context Um, it would be good to Mm. clarify first about Georgian history. Yeah that's right so I mean it's hard to do Georgian history Justice in brief. <laughs> go on, go say. for it. See it's what just you can so do. Long and fascinating, you know. Yeah. As, as wine lovers as well, we have to just start by saying that Georgia mm. is where the oldest evidence of grapevine domestication and making, you know, what we now recognise as wine has been found. You know, dating back to six thousand BC in Gadatriligora, and I stood on that very spot uh, with John when I was there. You know, thunder and lightning were booming around us. And we had a it's pretty dramatic, isn't it? Yeah, with I've orange seen, wine. Seen the footage, and that that is dramatic. <laughs> and that was just one of the, one of the sort of many memorable moments we got on film. Um, but you're making a slight face at me because that's mm. not what I was supposed to be no, saying. No, it's not. No, right. we wanted to talk about the 2008 war oh, with right, Russia, so, didn't yeah, we? So, 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 yeah, I was coming on to that. <laughs> you, you probably come on, just come on. But um, enough plugging. So Georgia, you know, historically has been a fairly fluid place. I think it's fair to say, you know, with various tribes and cultures passing through or, or sticking around. 
But Russia and its empires to the north and Turkey and its empires to the south have historically exerted, you know, a pretty strong influence over the region. Um, a good example of this, you know, was in uh, was when Georgia was, was sort of forcibly incorporated into the Soviet Union in the early 1920s. And it remained that way until 1991 you know, when it seceded or, or broke away from the USSR. Yeah, for all that, though, um, maybe because of it, you know, Georgians are fiercely independent people, mm, aren't they? they are. uh, they've got an amazing historic language, mm. a separate identity and culture, you know, but, but being independent-minded people and actually achieving stable independence are two different things, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Georgia finds itself a victim of geography. It's also benefited from it, but it's also a victim. You know, it's a mm. David in a region of Goliaths, if you like. Um, everyone wants a piece of, of this particular David. You know, in this instance, obviously, there was the big conflict in Chechnya nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2008, which is what you've asked about, uh, the conflict broke out on the northern Georgian border with Russia. And the Russian military bombed and attacked targets across Georgia and then moved into the two Georgian regions known as South Ossetia and Abkhazia. And they've stayed there to this day. You know, uh, as far as Georgians are concerned, those two regions are essentially occupied territory. Yeah, so these these conflicts involving Russia were happening well before Russia moved into eastern Ukraine and Crimea in 2014. Mm. And obviously this situation in Georgia has enormous relevance to what's happening now in Ukraine. Yeah, it does. Um, But to turn to wine for a moment, there's been conflict there too. You know, Georgia historically has sent the vast majority of its wine to Russia. Uh, Apparently the Russians view Georgia a bit like, you know, Northern Europeans view Italy. Mm. It's where you go on holiday, you go to the beach, you eat great food there, you drink great wine there, you know. So Russia is a big market for Georgian produce. But in 2006, uh, Russia banned Georgian wine completely overnight um, to punish it uh, for various things, but, you know, courting the West in general. And that was really tough for Georgia's wine industry, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, it, serious. You know, there have been positive outcomes, though. Um, you know, Georgia was sort of forced to look beyond Russia, wasn't it, and diversify its mm. export markets and, and, and also simply make higher quality wines yeah. to appeal to those markets. Too. It's, it's changed, hasn't it, the winemaking? It's really yeah. changed. And, and it's, well, it's been a pro- process of evolution, hasn't it? But mm. I think, you know, you can trace a lot of it to that. And, and last year, really interesting, 2021, um, saw the largest exports of wines in the history of independent Georgia. Uh, 107 million bottles sent abroad to, to 62 countries at a value of $250 million. Um, the US market for Georgian wine was up 19%, for example. The UK was up 71%. China was up 29%. You know, mm, but it's Im- I think it's important to add, though, that, that Russia and Ukraine were still very important markets for Georgian mm. wine before this war started. Yeah. So, so let's turn back to that and hear from Irakli Chol- First up, we wanted to know what things are like in Georgia right now. Well, I mean, uh, uh, of course, uh, the situation around us is really, really tense. Well, I mean, it's relatively peaceful in Georgia itself. There is uh, there is no war, but I mean, people, the situation is kind of tense. I mean, I hear there have been big demonstrations. um, And I imagine you're sitting there in Georgia looking at Ukraine thinking this could easily be us. Of course, yeah. And not to forget that we have a uh, Russian army parked here like for 45 kilometers away from Tbilisi. So we are very, very cautious on that. And uh, we have the experience uh, of this kind of war, which was uh, 14 years ago. And uh, the situation is really, we need to kind of uh, uh, balance the situation and 
and of course, I mean, uh, the, the they were not the demonstrations. It was kind of a rally for supporting the Ukraine and the Ukrainian people, and it was kind of a march and rally of the solidarity for the people as well. And uh, also, the country itself is uh, doing the uh, helping in humanitarian aids and uh, receiving the refugees as well. And I mean, our country is doing whatever we are capable of, and. Uh, just to uh, you know, to keep the peace uh, in this uh, country is really, really important for us. So it's important what you're saying there. You mentioned caution um, and the need for peace, um, given that the Russian army is parked, um, you know, only a few kilometers away from the capital. Maybe could you just give us a very brief recap on the situation in Georgia vis-a-vis uh, the, the Russian incursions? What happened in two thousand and eight? No, it was the same uh, scenario as we see now in Ukraine. It was exactly the same. They, uh, well, I mean, in those times, in, in these breakaway regions, there were peacekeeping forces there, and uh, and uh, before the war broke out in two thousand and eight, before that, for years, there was kind of a provocations here and there, and in the regions and in the region, and in the last uh, period of time until the war broke out. Uh, there was a heavy, heavy shootings, and uh, from you know from the Russian side, and so this war broke out, and uh, that was kind of the uh, the reason for them to then what happened to you know recognize these breakaway territories as their independent states, and and they took over again. I mean the Russian army is now kind of stationed in in those territories, and uh, that was uh, exactly the same, exactly the same scenario as we observe it now in the Ukraine. It's like you know when when I, when we see now the situation is unfolding in Ukraine, it's uh, it's you know you kind of a recapping of what happened here fourteen years ago, and it's kind of a signature of 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 Russia. Yeah, yeah. You're near Chechnya, um... of course. This thing, this kind of stuff has happened before. And, and obviously, when I was in Georgia with you, we were talking about the Soviet occupation and your memories of the Soviet occupation. Those memories are still fresh. You know, it, are people afraid in Georgia now, now that, you know, history is going to repeat itself? Yes, it's coming. You know, there's a refresh, lot of refreshments and, uh, you know, remembrance of those times uh when we had when we were in Soviet Union, but I mean, in, I mean, in my in my time, there was a, a relative peace in the Soviet Union because it was kind of uh, chilling out. It was seventies, eighties, but it was kind of a relative peace in in those period of time. But we we remember all the uh, uh, lack of freedoms and you know freedom of speech and whatever the values are right now. But uh, for I mean, at this moment, which for us, for our generation, it was kind of a uh, kind of a first uh, ob- observance of what uh, the war really is and what Russia was all about. So turning to wine more specifically, Russia is obviously, you know, a vital market for, for Georgian wine. How What's happening on that front? Yeah, uh, well, as I said, this, uh, the, the situation is really uncertain. Uh, we uh, Russia's share in exports is about 60%. The second top market is the Ukraine. So both of these countries are holding about 70% of the total exports. And last year we had this record-breaking volumes, which was more than 100 million bottles exported. And you can imagine the 70% went in these two countries. Of course, I mean, uh, the markets are diversified right now. And uh, we exported in more than 60 countries last year. 
but as I mean, as you can see, obviously, in, in terms of volume, these uh, these countries are really essential for us. It will kind of it will have some kind of. Uh, uh, chain reaction in the whole supply chain, maybe. So I think we'll have tough here. Yeah, so given, obviously, the Russian market is likely to, to, to reduce considerably, the Ukrainian market's going to probably collapse in the short yeah. term. What's going to be yeah. the effect of, of, of that on Georgian wine, do you think? You know, uh, yes, I mean, we had the more or less, uh, I mean, sort of the same kind of situation in 2006, uh, in this in this year, when uh, Russia imposed embargo, our exports were over ninety percent in in those years. So we kind of uh, it took time, you know, to uh, uh, you know relaunch and recap the whole situation. Maybe to in, in- because, as far as I understand, you in recent years, as you mentioned, since two thousand and six, the Russian embargo, you've been trying to diversify your markets. You've been trying to get a higher, you know, move away from the sort of more bulk wine end of the spectrum to more added value wines yeah. that speak of yeah. Georgia. It's going to diverse markets. Where are you with that, and and what is the current situation going to? How is the current situation going to affect that? Well, right now, as I said, uh, we had uh, like before before embargo, Russia was holding like over ninety percent of our export share, and now we managed when they reopened in two thousand and thirteen. Until now, uh, we kind of maintained the share at sixty percent, which was like it's down. We kind of you know diminished a third of what what they had, which is. Uh, but we still. Uh, I mean, our idea, the basic idea, is to kind of again diminish the dependence on this market diversify as, as much as we can now united states is a very promising market for us it was the first time that they hit uh, 1 million bottles last year in the exports and uh, uh, it was like uh, 30% uh, growth year on year basis in the last 4 years so it's, it was a really good result and seeing uh, also given the fact that uh, our awareness is not too big in in the western markets so uh, this uh, result was is, is promising so later we'll see now there are many close links between ukraine and georgia and ukrainians and georgians there, there's a lot of kinship and brotherhood there you know what what can wine people do to support ukraine and indeed to support georgia at the same time yeah, I mean, there are some ideas now forming in the wild lover communities. And as you know, uh, there's uh, in, in Kiev and in the whole Ukraine, there was a really good uh, chain of wine shops. It was called Good Wine. And in one of the days, uh, these good wine warehouses were attacked by the bomb and it was, it was demolished there. And... Uh, and we had this idea, and I think it's still in the process, that all the winemakers are sending uh, their wines to support and be- rebuild, help rebuild the warehouse with the wines. But, uh, but in terms of uh, not, I mean, not talking about the wine uh, people. I mean, in general, uh, we have many you know, humanitarian aid uh, points here, and the people are, you know, gathering all what they can and with, for the kids and for. I mean, whatever the necessities are for uh, for the people in the Ukraine. It's we, I mean, we are uh, very... Uh, the solidarity here is on a really high level. You could see the flags of Ukraine all over Georgia. And uh, so, I mean, right now, the, the, the most important thing is that this war stops. And uh, I mean, the innocent people are really dying there. Women, children. Yeah, we'll see. We are kind of... We pray to, all together to... Uh, and and that this war ends uh, as soon as possible. 
Cheers to that. Irakli um, Chalabarge, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Peter. I think we're all desperate for the war to end, aren't we? Um, now, we're going to come on to how we wine people can help and also what Irakli mentioned about the Ukrainian importers who run good wine in Kiev, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. It's something uh, I touched on with John Wordman when I talked to him too. So um, so I guess we might as well get straight into that now. Um, John was snowed in when he talked to me from his acclaimed Pheasant's Tears winery in Kakheti, which is the main winemaking region in Georgia. Uh, I started by asking him the simple question, how are you? Right now, we're all a little bit stressed because of the situation in Ukraine. We have many uh, brothers and sisters there that are being bombed at the moment. Our importer's warehouse was bombed. Um, The restaurants where wine was being sold have been destroyed. Um, Some people we can't reach out to and, and be in touch with. Some people we're able to find. And George is in a precarious situation because Georgia has a very strong spirit of brotherhood with Ukraine. At the same time, they can't really voice their outrage too strongly because they don't have a military that can hold back Russia. So they're they're forced into a position of kind of being quiet, and it's really hard for Georgians. So I want to pick up on a couple of those things, John. Uh, but let's start with, um, you, I know that you have very close links to Ukraine. When I was over with you, I think you were hosting a, a delegation of, of, of your Ukrainian importers. You know, what, what's your feelings um, about what's going on in Ukraine right now? It's horrible when two different ethnic groups fight each other. But right now is basically fratricide. Kievan Rus was the name for a whole country that included modern-day Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus. And so they have a common history, they have a common religion, they have common blood, they have a language that's related. For one reason or another, Russia is trying to punish Ukraine for its Western uh, alliance ambitions. And I... I understand, you know, if if Russia was trying to set up military bases in Canada or in Mexico, probably the U.S. would do something worse than what Russia is doing. But still, indiscriminate bombing of women and children and people trying to evacuate and apartment buildings and hospitals and kindergartens and maternity hospitals. I mean, this is outrageous. In the 21st century, this shouldn't be happening. So I think that Russia's protest to NATO expansion eastward in some ways makes sense. I think that um, the Western alliances should take some accountability that they were provoking Ukraine and Georgia to accept these promises, even though there wasn't really a firm commitment behind them. And so they were kind of, it's like testing the bathwater. But um, that testing of the bathwater is sacrificing a nation of 40 million people that are have a beautiful, ancient, wonderful culture. So I, I'm personally a bit angry on all sides. I'm angry that Georgia can't do more. I'm angry that the West made promises that they can't come through with. And I'm angry that Russia couldn't find a more civilized way to express its concern. 
um, something that would earn it respect and moral dignity. You say you're angry, John, which I which I quite understand. Um, and you've you've mentioned how Georgia is in a similar situation in many ways to Ukraine. Uh, what's the general sentiment? That, that you're noticing out there in, in Georgia at the moment? You've also mentioned not being able to really express what, what they think. A lot of Georgians, like there was even a, a charter flight of volunteer soldiers that were going to go from Georgia to fight and the Georgian government turned around the plane. And during the 2008 war, there was a lot of volunteers from Ukraine fighting against Russia. Um but I think since the 2008 war in Georgia, there hasn't been a lot of emphasis on building up military or training in Georgia. I think the government kind of felt like uh, Georgia trying to fight Russia is a futile attempt. And so we find ourselves in a situation where Russia would like a reason in order to kind of come in and show its dominance and power in the region. And the Georgian government's trying really hard not to give them that reason. And at the same time, there's huge protests in Tbilisi in support of Ukraine. And, and people are angry that the government's not doing more. But I'm also sympathetic with the government. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm not a political person and I don't have connections with this government, but I also understand that they don't want to invite a fight that would destroy the nation and that Georgia can continue to offer something to the world as long as it exists. And right now, an annihilation of Georgia by Russia is not going to help Ukraine or anyone else. The Georgian government right now finds itself between a rock and a hard place and I think is trying to become a Switzerland of the Caucasus. The only difference is our neighbors are not France, Italy and Germany. We have Chechnya, Dagestan, Turkey, Azerbaijan, Armenia. It's a much more dodgy neighborhood. <laughs> um, turning to wine, um, you know, both Russia and Ukraine are vital markets for, for Georgian wine or for maybe a certain sector of Georgian wine. Um, you know, how has this been affected, you know, and what does the future hold? There's a lot of stuff on social media where people are... Georgians are signing up to, even if there's not an official boycott to themselves, boycott exports to Georgia, to Russia. Um, there's a lot of people donating wine to Ukraine or giving wine to the importers free of charge in order to help them rebuild or sell the wine and, and offer to humanitarian aid. Right now, the Georgia's lucky that there's for what I would consider the better wine in the country, there's a bigger market than there is supply. So Georgians can reroute their wine different places. I think that the Georgian winemakers aren't going to be the ones that suffer the most. But some people have a dilemma. For instance, we have an importer in Russia that's a very nice man, a very kind man, is not pro-Putin, is incredibly embarrassed at what's happening. And then we have to make a critical decision you know, do we punish the the thinkers and intellectuals in Russia that love our wine because of because of their government, or do we try to separate and say that you know it's uh, it's not them that are creating the problem? And 
So, so what are you going to do? I don't know. It's, it sounds it's complicated. Like, it sounds like you might still um, carry on in that sense. I think we'll probably, uh, at least, I don't know that we'll boycott Russia forever, but uh, for the duration of the conflict in Ukraine, we won't ship any wine to Russia, and then we'll see how things finish. And we're gathering a bunch of bottles to send uh, for Ukrainian importers to, to sell in Poland in order to raise revenue for humanitarian aid agencies that are working with refugees. And... Our importers, Le Cap de Perrin in London, have really graciously set up a program where they're paying for the transportation of refugees that can make it to the Polish or Slovakian border and sending them to families, vineyard families in France, Italy, Spain, places in Western Europe, where the families that work with Le Cap de Perrin will give home and shelter and food and Le Cap de Perrin is organizing and financing the transportation. Um, so, and then hopefully they'll build some bonds with the different vignerons across Europe and we can have a little bit of love in an otherwise big nightmare. John, just two last questions uh, moving away from Ukraine. Um, we're doing a, a mini series on wine and food right now on the podcast. Um, when I was in Georgia with you, you talked very eloquent to me, eloquently to me about the, the place of Georgian wine, uh, particularly amber or, or orange wine, on the table. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that, Georgian wine and, and food? Yeah, I think that um, orange wine is often, all too often seen as something hipsterish in a, in a cool wine bar where you might have some nuts or olives on the side. And actually, it's one of the most gastro-friendly styles of wine and the way Georgians eat with this kind of mosaic of punchy flavors of garlic and herbaceousness and chili and umami and um, all these kind of small plates that can be shared together orange wine has the flexibility to go on a big range to kind of respond and dance with salinity and meatiness and herbaceousness and tanginess and so forth so to understand an orange wine, a wide range of flavors is the best way to engage it. And I think um, more than any other kind of conventional genre of wine, of white, rosé or red, it's flexibility to be able to make a stretch and embrace a larger flavor profile is one of the reasons that it's very popular in this part of the world. It's not because of its novelty, it's because of how food friendly it is. And you also tell me, tell me it's, it's the kind of wine that shouldn't be overthought. Yeah, I think that um, because it has that flexibility and in, in possibility to be a presence throughout the meal, you know, it doesn't demand to be analyzed and dissected. You know, it, it doesn't matter what uh, technically, you know, the how many meters above sea level or if it smells like uh, quince blossoms or tangerine blossoms. It's just there, much like a, a piano accompanist that uh, stays in the shadows but allows the singer to shine. Wonderful. Um, and lastly, you know, when I was in Georgia, we stood on the archaeological site where the earliest evidence of what we might now call wine and winemaking has been uncovered. Um, Georgian wine's been going for at least 8,000 years. What does this mean for Georgian wine today? I think um, it's important that we take into consideration the history, the genetic biodiversity that this history gave us. 
think it's also important to understand how much diversity of terroir there is here. But we also have to remember that wine has a functional part of society and it is, uh, it's meant to give joy. It's meant to make our, our meals more tasty and the relationship with people more, uh, more friendly and more open. So I think, um, drinking patterns and the way people want to use wine in the 21st century is something that this ancient kind of bastion of antiquity needs to take into consideration. And so in Soviet times, if the, the heavier wines from Eastern Georgia were always seen as superior, I think the kind of nervous and bright and transparent and light fragile wines of Western Georgia are becoming uh, more and more exciting, uh, partly because people are gravitating to something lighter, more refreshing, more kind of a vin de soif, as the French would say. Um, so I think that Georgian wine history is rich enough that we can pull on different parts of it as, as we need and as we want. But um, we're seeing a, a general kind of uh, movement towards fresher and lighter, even in, in the orange wine category where we don't have to be so dogmatic that it's six months all skins and stems. It could be without stems or just 20% skins or could be for two days and or it could be for two weeks or two months. And so I think um, in the early days, myself included, we were trying to learn the old ways of doing it in order to make sure that that knowledge and those traditions weren't uh, lost. But I think now Georgia also needs to be in dialogue with drinkers of the 21st century. And it's, it's not meant to be Neolithic wine. It, it should be something that is relevant to today, but maybe inspired by all of those millennia. And talking of relevance to today, how important is that capacity of wine to bring us joy and to bring us together? I think the, the Georgian format for feasting, and they call it a supra, where you have an elected toastmaster and different subjects are touched upon, like love, parents, children, you know, nature, God, neighbors, and so forth. And everyone's encouraged to expound upon it and have a dialogue is a wonderful way to get to know people and a wonderful way to solve problems as well. Um, certainly seems to be more effective than NATO or the UN today. So maybe maybe they these international organizations should adopt the Georgian feasting model and we would find peace more quickly. Cheers to that. John Verdeman, thank you very much indeed. All right, Peter. Take care, my friend. So we wanted to start by picking up on what John mentioned about the initiative to relocate Ukrainian families to wine families around Europe. Now, this is being run by UK wine importer Lecave de Peren, who import John's wines. Yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. Um, as John says, hopefully, you know, it will mean something positive can come out of uh, what is otherwise a pretty bleak time um, via the medium of wine. So, you know, it's a great one for, for, for us wine lovers to support. Um, Lecave have set up a Just Giving page and we'll put a link in our show notes. So please do support that. Or, of yeah. course, you can just give to the Disasters Emergency Committee, which yeah. brings together leading aid charities to help in, in yeah. times of crisis. Yeah, that's another really good one to support. So, um, OK, I think that's more or less it for, for this episode. Uh, if you'd like to know more 
about Georgia and its wines, which obviously we haven't had the most time for in this episode, uh, do check out The Wild Side of Wine Georgia on www.winemasters.tv. It is a paywall. Starring, starring Peter Richardson, don't <laughs> Yeah. Um, plug, plug, plug. Lots of great wine TV content on there, and featuring Susie Barry and W. I am as there well. too. Let's be fair. Um, we'll also put the trailer up for this series on our website, show notes, and our YouTube channel. And, and as I say, hopefully it will be coming to other platforms soon too. You do cover a lot of ground in Georgia, don't you, as well? And yeah. the shows on, I mean, it's on all Georgia. In there. Well, most of it's in there. I mean, you can't get everything in there in Georgia in one programme. But, you know, it's it, Georgia's just fascinating, amazing, isn't it? It's not mm. just about wine, also about history, culture, food, you know, the Soviet Union, Stalin. Um, and, yeah, you've got things like wine producers doing crazy things, you know, lots about Kvevery, a 400-year-old vine, which we come across, you know, the 500-plus great varieties they've got in the country. We even visit uh, a winemaking centre for, for, for a ghostly cave city. There you go. Intriguing. I mean, where mm. else do you get that sort of but on the But on the subject <laughs> of Ukraine, obviously there's a lot of coverage everywhere, but in a wine sense, do check out jancisrobinson.com, mm. where there's an ongoing series of letters from Kiev, mm. free to access... Um, for everyone Uh, it is pretty harrowing correspondence from importers wine bureau who run the good wine shops that Arakli was talking about including how their wine warehouses were completely destroyed by rockets um, at a loss of I think 15 million euros of stock devastating Mm. But to finish on uh, an upbeat note, it was nice to get John's perspective on wine and food, wasn't it? Mm. Um, particularly as that's a subject we're going to be exploring in more depth in upcoming episodes on the podcast. We are, we are, we are. And, and lovely to hear how George's wine is changing and evolving to suit modern drinkers, mm, despite nice, being so historic. Yeah. Um, and what a fantastic notion to finish on, that the Georgian feast should be the model for finding peace. There we go. And that's exactly how we'll finish then. Uh, let's all... Raise a glass to Ukraine uh, and to Georgia. Here's to wine, uh, to song, to you, to good people wherever they are. And here, above all, is to peace.